Welcome to the Or Halev podcast with Rabbi James Jacobson Mazels. So tonight I want to talk to you about um, an issue which I'm sure is very unfamiliar to most of you. Stress and tension. You may have felt those. And in some ways, <coughs> the fundamental thing I want to teach tonight and over however many weeks this takes us is the teaching from Tehillim, from Psalms, which says, Hirpu udu Relax and know God. Know God. Hirpu udu Right? We can just relax. We can just let go of the tension a little bit. If we can just settle in. So you know, that we don't have to fight and strive and change and force. There's a possibility that we might be able to know the divine. We all know that stress is um, uncomfortable, right? It's not that pleasant to be stressed out. It makes us grouchy and short-tempered. It stops us from enjoying our lives. And it's pretty dangerous for us, right? I don't know if people keep up on the various health effects, right? But for instance, there are lots of studies, but the Mayo Clinic is pretty conservative, straight on, you know, says that... um, Stress leads to headaches and tension and chest pain and fatigue and stomach upsets and sleep problems and anxiety and restlessness and irritability and anger and sadness and depression and lack of motivation and addiction and overeating and anger and social withdrawal. Those are a few of the consequences of stress. (laughs) And Swedish researchers did an interesting study um, which, which studied the effects of job stress, and particularly if you have a bad manager. So hold the questions, we'll get to them at the end. Um, and people who had a bad manager who made them feel stressed out were 60% more likely to suffer a heart attack or other life-threatening cardiac condition. Right? It's pretty amazing. It studied 3,100 Swedish men. So, uh, you know, a fairly sizable study. And basically it upped their risk of death, right? It upped their risk of death. So what's happening to us? Why do we walk through life getting stressed out so often when it's clearly not beneficial for us? What's, what's the mistake? Where are we going wrong, right? So why do we get stressed? A lot of what I'm about to say is um, shared from Rick Hansen. Rick Hansen is a neuroscientist, a neurobiologist, and a teacher of mindfulness, a lot of great stuff to say. So he explains that, unsurprisingly, right, our brain evolved to basically meet three needs. To avoid harm, to get rewards, right, to run away from the bad stuff, to get the good stuff, and to attach to others, to other human beings, right, because that was also fundamental to our safety. And the Unfortunate result of that is that animals or humans that were nervous and driven, stressed out, on alert, and clinging were more likely to survive and pass on their genes. Right? So if you were stressed out in the forest, which means you were kind of hyper alert and tense, this was actually 
helpful for your survival, right? It stops you getting eaten by the tiger. And you can notice that this is a chest, which is just how hard is it for us to really not feel any dis-ease for more than a few seconds or a few minutes. <coughs> so they have a few minutes or seconds where we feel no disease, no worry, no stress, no concern. And then in addition to that, of course, not only do we have that in some ways programmed into our DNA, right? This alertness, this striving all the time, this watching out for danger, which is sort of the nature of stress. But we live in a culture where we get bombarded by messages which tell us we need to do more, be more, have more, right? You have to keep improving, keep succeeding, keep having, having more than the other person, look a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way, right? And if we do that, then we'll finally be okay, right? If we get the right, whatever it is, right? Car or... I don't know, type of food or clothing or music or whatever it is, right? Whatever we're advertising, if we get that thing, finally we'll be okay, right? We'll be safe. And we spend, I don't know, Danny Cohen gave me this number. He says, he says the U.S. advertising industry is a $300 billion a year industry, right? I mean, that is amazing. That is amazing. Even if it was a tenth of that, it would be amazing, right? $300 billion a year just trying to get you to want things you might not always, always, already want. That's just in America, right? Never mind the rest of the world, right? And so we get these messages of doing, of being, of achieving, of making, of acquiring. And we fall into this illusion that our accomplishments and our sense of self-worth are fundamentally aligned. That is, what we do is fundamentally connected to who we are, right? And then the stakes get huge, right? It really stresses us out because what happens if I fail in my job, in my relationship, in my communication, in this place, in that place, and whatever, getting this thing done, getting this thing fixed, like whatever it is we're doing. We think that whatever it is we're doing is caught up in who I actually am, in my fundamental sense of self-worth, in my fundamental sense of okayness. We think we have this self that needs to be short of protected. And then it's really stressful, right? Because what's going to happen if X or Y doesn't work out? If I don't get the job, if I don't get the girl or the guy, if I don't get whatever it is, the object, right, that makes me feel okay, that makes me look okay, if I don't get, right, whatever it is. You can choose any moment where you felt stressed out. You can try to notice, oh, what's that stress about? And what is it that I think needs to happen for me to be okay, for me to be all right? And you'll notice there's some story there. There's some striving of something needs to happen for you to be okay, for you to be all right. And then to compound this, we start to um, mainline stress into our nervous system, right? We start to learn from our past in unhealthy ways. And particularly that's because our memory and our awareness has a negativity bias. That means it's easier for us to pay attention to the bad stuff than the good stuff, right? And again, it's not surprising because you want to know if the lion's out there, right? It's adaptive to pay attention to the bad stuff. But it's not adaptive to us in our, you know, post-capitalist -cap industrial society, like, whenever we live in, right? That's actually not adaptive for us anymore. 
doesn't help us because there's no lion, right? But our brain is set, and so we get stuck in these patterns of anxiety and resentment and loss and hurt and inadequacy and guilt and shame, right? Because we notice what's bad, and we try to respond to and protect ourselves from what happened that's bad. And then we try to do the final step, which is we try to capture and hold on to this endless flow of life. Right, this endless flow of life. Life is just flowing, it's just happening. And we want to capture and hold on to it, especially any parts of that life that make us feel safe or good. Right, the parts that do feel safe or good, we want to keep them, we want them to never go. We want to make them stable. But of course what happens is they slip through our fingers. And yet there's this tremendous stress and tension in the desperate trying to hold on to them. Right, Whatever it is that's happening that's good right now, I don't want it to go, I want it to stay, and they're stressing. And this can be gross, like we have a good job or a good relationship or something, and something feels like it's threatening it, and the stress level goes way up. And it can be very subtle, like I'm eating my ice cream, and I don't want the ice cream to be finished. And so I'm not fully enjoying the ice cream. Like there's a subtle tension even in the ice cream, right? It's like it's so lovely, the ice cream, but subtle tension... Even I can't really fully be open just to the ice cream, right? It's just nothing. It's nothing, right? But even there, we stop ourselves from fully engaging and being with our experience. And there are a number of things which support this mistaken response that we have. This confusion we have about the nature of who we are and the nature of our experience. And the first mistake is that we think everything is so important so significant. It's going to be a disaster if this doesn't happen. How many times have you said or thought it's going to be a disaster if X or Y didn't happen, right? <laughs> I would guess, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but at least 99.9% .9 of those times there would have been no disaster if that didn't happen, right? I mean, things wouldn't have worked out, something wouldn't have happened, right? But certainly not a disaster, right? It just would have been Fine. Hard in some ways, difficult in some ways, whatever. But fine, right? But we think that whatever it is that I'm about to do has to be done. But it has to be done. If I don't finish this, it can't not be finished, for instance. It can't not be done perfectly. It has to happen. We have a similar fear, similar illusion, which is that something terrible will happen if we don't do X, whatever the X is that you think you need to do. Right, And then we have fear, right? We have fear that something bad's going to happen, that we're going to be hurt, that we're going to fail. It's interesting, in a study on mindfulness, they, participants reported not only could they feel their emotions more fully, but maybe unsurprisingly, they were less fearful or worried about experiencing their emotions. And so there was less suppression of the emotions, right? They're less worried about experiencing the anger or the disappointment, or the loss, or whatever it is that was going to come, right? So less fear around that, less suppression of them, and a less reaction to the possibilities of that in our lives. The third illusion, <clears throat> which helps this sense of self and the sense of stress, you can see the self and stress are totally aligned, is that I am in control. Right? It's up to me. What I do will make the difference. It's not that we can have no efficacy or we can't have an impact on things. 
<coughs> but we never have total control. Right? The world operates completely outside of our control and does so all the time. And again, you can notice this all the time and notice how stressful it feels and how much you desperately want to assert control. For instance, you are stuck in traffic. How many of you have felt stressed being stuck in traffic? You're stuck in traffic and you're trying to get to, whatever you're trying to get to, your appointment, whatever, 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 right? What can you do about it when you're stuck in traffic? Nothing, right? You can't do a single thing about it. That's what's amazing about being stuck in traffic, right? <laughs> it's like one of those helpful places where it really lets you know. It's like, oh, totally, there's like hundreds of cars here on the highway wherever I am. There's actually nothing I can do. It's completely outside of my control, right? And yet we're having the stress response, and the stress response is desperately in that moment trying to reassert control. Maybe if I'm, if I'm stressed, if I push, if I drive really closely to the car ahead of me, right? If I zip into the lane inside next to me, right? Maybe that'll make a difference. But that's not going to make a difference, right? Even if you, like, change lanes a thousand times, you know that, like, maybe maximum a minute, right? It'll make a difference for you in your trip, right? But the self is desperate to feel like it can assert control, like it can do something. And the stress is part of that response. And you can notice, it's a great place to notice, the stress is not helping me in any way. Sometimes we're under the illusion that the stress is helping us, it's motivating us. But stuck in traffic, <coughs> stress is not doing a damn thing, right? It's not doing anything for you. It's just causing you to suffer. And then the, the last illusion, this is the hardest illusion, I'm going to mention it, I'm going to talk about it more, <laughs> is the illusion that there is some me that's doing all the stuff that I'm stressed out about. There's some me, and that's why I'm stressed, because I'm stressed because I think that if this action fails, that I am a failure, right? If there's some me, there's some person, there's some self in here who thinks that, right, I'm the one doing it, and if this action fails, I'm a failure, or if this doesn't go well, I'm an idiot, right? Or if this doesn't happen, I won't be loved. There's some person lingering here who's not going to be loved or taken care of or cherished or respected or whatever it is. And any times any of those harsh words come up, if you say those words to yourself, words of self-recrimination or blame or, right? It's just the illusion of the self. That's a very hard illusion. We're going to get to that illusion, right? So <clears throat> what I want to talk about now in the coming weeks is how do we let go of that illusion, right? And it's again, it's just coming back to, I'm going to talk about it, in the, talk about it unsurprisingly, the Bizetzner a lot, but I want to go back to that line we started, Hurpu Hashem, relax and know God. Because what stress does is it makes us feel separate. You can notice that again in your sense of stress, it like makes us feel separate. And that separateness reinforces and creates that illusion of separateness that we have. And it's that illusion of separateness which stops us from being in loving contact with others, in loving contact with ourselves, and in loving contact with divinity. Because we get lost in self in that sense of fight and flight and trying to fulfill what feels like my basic needs. So the first step of working with stress is trying to let go of some of those illusions. And one way we do that is by actually interrogating the false thoughts, the cognitive distortions which happen around the stress. 
our thoughts happening and we don't have to bind right so for instance you have the thought if this doesn't happen it's going to be a disaster right so you can actually inquire is it really going to be a disaster you can ask yourself the simple question will i be okay right even if this happens will i be okay and the vast 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 majority of the time the answer is yes Right? Those of you to answer this, this, this fundamentally. If this happens, will I still have enough food to eat, sufficient clothing and shelter? Right? Will I be safe? Will I be taken care of? It's very, 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 very rare that the answer for us right here in this room is no. If this happens, no, I won't have that. Right? And it's helpful to actually inquire, like, what is okay? What is enough? Right? Our stress is telling us we don't have enough, we don't have enough, we don't have enough. We need to strive, we need to do more, we need to accomplish this, we need to make that happen. We need to stop this other thing from happening. Right? But what we're trying to challenge when we notice those thoughts is, what is enough? What's enough? What's enough for me to just be safe? What's enough? And if you genuinely inquire, sometimes there's some space in there to notice that this story my mind is telling isn't true. The story about it not being enough, about me not being safe, about a disaster happening, it's not true. There's enough. There's basic safety here right now. The second place of interrogation is control. And it's helpful to ask yourself, is this really up to me? Can I actually determine what happens here? Is it really up to me? Or is it actually uh, relying on a lot of other factors which are not inside my control? Right? And then that gives us the opportunity to see, oh, I can just do what I can do, and I can let go of the rest. Right? Like when you're stuck in traffic. How much of this is up to me? Oh, none of it is up to me right now. Right? Can't do anything. So I might as well let go. But even other things where there's much more place of you, it's like I'm planning a class, I'm teaching. How much of what happens is up to me? Well, only actually one small bit is up to me. I have no control over your reactions. Right? I have no control over where you are in your lives and what you'll hear and not hear. Right? I have, no, I, I have no control over that. And if I'm trying to make sure the class happens a certain way and a certain result comes out and you all have a certain experience, well, then I might as well give up because I can't control that. Right? I can control a few things. I control what I say. Right? I can control my preparation. Right? I have some ability there to have some efficacy there. Even that I can't control completely, right? Some efficacy there. And I can let go of the desire to make sure it's all perfect. I can't make sure it's all perfect, right? And it's not my job. The Fizetzner Rebbe does a great inquiry of this with the stress and tension around desire. So, you know, we have desire. It's like, this has to happen. This has to get done. I want this, right? And this whole stress reaction about maybe not getting it, worry about not getting it says you can ask the following question. says, first of all, you can just ask, do I really desire this so much? Like, I feel like I want it, but do I really want it? Is that what I really want? Like, what is it I really want? Do I really want the chocolate, or do I want to be loved? Right? What do I really want? And then he says, do I need to do this? Do I need to eat this? It's like, what will happen if I don't eat it? Will I still be okay? Will I still be all right? What will happen if I don't do this? If I don't get that, will I still be okay? And then he says, you can actually reflect on it and allow yourself, 
can we just sort of help you just see some part of yourself? So you can see, oh, this desire is in me. This stress is in me. And then we can see things about ourselves, like, oh, I'm still caught in some idea that I should get X amount done or do certain types of things or have to push myself all the time. When we see the patterns we're trapped in, it helps us, makes us less trapped in them, right? You start to notice, like, what are the patterns? What are the distortions that are getting me in this situation of stress? It's like I was working the other day, felt stress arising. It's like, oh, well, what? What's the distortion that's making me feel stressed here? So I think I should have done X, Y, and Z. Well, what do you mean I should have done it? I didn't do it, right? <laughs> like, it didn't happen. Was I working? I was working. This is the amount of time it actually took me. So that's the amount of time it actually took me, right? It's just a story in my head which says, this should have happened, and now I'm stressed out because of the story of self-blame about not happening what I think should have happened. There's no should have there. It's just what happened and what I was able to do and this is what I was able to do and this is what I was doing. And then it helps, the Pizetzner says, if we can have a little bit of perspective on it, a little bit of humor. He says, he says, look, it's helpful to say, I won't die if I don't eat this, right? <laughs> That's the way it feels and it's like, I'll do this or I'll die or it's like, oh, it's like, I'm not going to die if I don't eat this. I'm going to be okay. And it helps to laugh at ourselves. You know, a great practice which I've used often, is when you see your mind being crazy, you know, getting stressed out, getting worried, blaming, angry, the whole thing, whatever it is, it's like to just, with great love and humor, be like, my mind is crazy, right? <laughs> like, my mind is totally crazy. Look what it's doing. It's totally crazy. And it's totally okay, because everybody's mind is crazy, right? Like, you know, I told you this before, the Pizetner says, if you would observe the, your mind for one day, you'll notice there's no difference between you and a crazy person. <laughs> it's just that a crazy person actually says and acts on everything they think, right? Mm. And, you know, it was so comforting for me to read that. I was like, oh, right. Not just me, him too, right? Mm -hmm. It's like all of us, it's like, that's okay. That's just what our mind does. Can we have a sense of humor about it? The mind is just going crazy. That's just what the crazy mind is like. It's actually not such a big deal, and we don't have to take it all so seriously, right? It's not so serious. The next illusion, or the letting go of illusions... <coughs> Here's again, we're going to touch on this and talk about it more, is letting go of that illusion of the self. And, and what I want to help to, to advise us to let go of here is just one simple step. It's one step. <coughs> it's I failed to I'm a failure. Right? Just that step. Right? To something happened, to whatever happened has now become my identity in some way. Right? And notice, what does it mean? Let's say I say I'm a failure. Really? Have I failed at every single thing I've ever done? No. Right? It's never true. It's never true. Whatever that identity is that you put on yourself, it's never true. That's never always true. That's never true every minute of the day. That's never true every day. Right? You're never a X. You're never an anything. Things happen. This time you failed. This time you succeeded. This time you messed up. This time you didn't mess up. This time you were smart, this time you were foolish, whatever it was, right? But we create this noun out of it, this version of the self, right? And it gets to be a real problem. Danny again pointed this out to me, I think it's great. But in Hebrew, actually it's a problem, it's interesting, or it's pointing out this problem, which is daval and dibel, right? So we take a word, we take a concept for a second, and we make it into a thing. 
And this name, this word, this verb becomes an actual thing. It's like something there. But there's no thing. There's no thing. It's just this label we put on ourselves. And the label is making us suffer. Right? So we want to try and cut that line between the label. It's like this happened. I'm not anything. Just something happened. So we're going to pause there for today. Next time we're going to talk about a lot of other strategies for starting to undo that that process and really that sort of automatic reaction of stress. Um, so now as normal, we're going to open it up to questions, thoughts. You just recently talked about not, you know, creating this identity. What about like positive things? You know, I'm strong. I'm yeah, that's not helpful either. <laughs> because <clears throat> let's say we plan to call an identity like I'm a good student. I'm a good student, right? I'm a good student. What about when I'm not a good student? That sucks, doesn't it? A lot of suffering when I'm not a good student if my whole identity is resting on I'm a good student. Right? It's like we find these things and we pin our identity on them. We pin our happiness on them. We pin our hope on them. We pin our like sense of well-being on them. <coughs> and, this is the thing we mentioned before, and if any of these things were actually stable and secure, then maybe it would be okay to pin our well-being on them. But since none of them are, since nobody is a good student every second all the time, then it's really hurtful, right? And we just suffer. And then we're not a good student once, and we get thrown into disarray, we get thrown into chaos, right? So it doesn't matter where we're pinning our identity, whether it's something good or something bad, right? None of those labels are helping us. <coughs> Now, labels, <coughs> not the same, that's why I didn't use the example you used for a second, <coughs> it's not the same as acknowledging some part of ourself right now. Like, we might feel threatened, we might be able to acknowledge, I'm strong. Not in an essential way, but like right now, I have the capacity to be strong and aware and present and not feel moved by this or not feel overtaken by this. And that's, that's perfectly good and perfectly fine to notice that, to notice my qualities, to notice my strength, to notice the capacities I have to bring to bear. But when they become an identity, then we're in trouble because we're not strong every second. Sometimes we're not strong. Oops, right? And that's okay. But if if to be me is to be strong, then it's not okay. Right? And then it really hurts. And then the other problem is not only does it really hurt, but we spend all the stress and energy and tension and terror propping up that sense of who we are. It's like, well, I can never not be strong, so I must do everything I need to do, organize my entire life in the way so that I'm always strong and everybody always sees me as strong. What about this? Like, you're talking about like, going back to what we're talking about back this time. What about yeah. that work? What happens if my actual work is deeper and has to get done? Yeah. So sometimes things have deadlines, and it's still helpful to ask, right? Only one of the questions, because the other questions are still helpful to ask. Will I be okay if this doesn't happen? The other thing is, even if you failed the paper, you would still be okay, right? You're still gonna have enough to eat, you're gonna have enough clothes, you're gonna have somewhere to live, right? Even if you fail the paper, basically, right? Well, or fail a project in general. If they didn't do that paper, they could just know upon me, like, failing a course, failing on a PDEP, and getting kicked out of the right. department because you don't have money. Th and that's have right. Money. Not necessarily. There may be times when that's tr not true, and that's good to notice. And talk about it. But I'm just pointing out that 
the vast majority of the time, that is true. Actually rare that anyone thing that's like doing this means my whole life thing is probably going to fall apart. Very rare. And even if all those things happen, right? Even if all those things happen, even that, it's good to reflect. It's like, let's say I got kicked out of the program, lost my scholarship, had to go somewhere else. Would I be less starving on the street? Maybe. Or would I be able to find some job somewhere for myself? Or have some family reach out and give me some kind of support so that I wouldn't be starving, right? Most of the time, not all the time, right? Most of the time, it's good to notice, no, actually, I'd be okay. And then even when, I mean, the interesting thing is that even when I wouldn't be okay, it's not that the stress helps, right? <laughs> There's still wiser ways of responding to it, but it's just helpful to notice that most of the time I would be okay, and that can change the response to the stress. Um, at the start of the session, like, Lotus is about control, really. Like, yeah. people tend to focus on the, I can control everything. Um, in terms of, like, the Jewish perspective, is there, like, do, does other talk, talk, do people talk about, like, if we rely, if we attribute too much to external control and how that can affect our stress? Because, you know, you can, I imagine you need to have a balance between internal and external controls. Um, I would say that put differently, which is nobody has control, and you want to feel empowered and not caged. Right? So there's a different thing. It's not you don't want to feel that, which also isn't true, right? <laughs> that you're just at the whim of the world and that you have no power and efficacy. Because of course you have power and efficacy and the ability to act in the world and affect change and do things. But you don't have control and neither does anybody else. Now, in our tradition, often the way we talk about that is that God has control, right? <laughs> which means like you might as well just give up control and let it go, right? Because nobody down here has any control. Right? There's one of chaplains that my wife worked with that I love this quote. They said, give it, give it to God. Right? It's like, I did all I can. I can't do anything more. So just give it to God. It's God's task now. It's not yours. And then on the other hand, which is interesting, <laughs> like in the Belshem book talks about this, there are ways in which right, we can get obsessive about control. And, and that's just as true as our religious life as anywhere else. So we can get obsessive about mitzvot and think like we're totally in control and then get into a blame and guilt thing when we don't get it right, right? And the Baal Shem Tov says in a beautiful teaching, he says, look, guilt is just a tool to get yourself out of it, right? So you mess up, you don't do some mitzvah. First of all, probably it wasn't so serious. That's what he says. <laughs> you think it's so serious? That's just the answer. Uh, probably it wasn't so serious, right? <laughs> then, even if it was whatever you did, How's it going to help you feel terrible about yourself? Feeling terrible about yourself is just going to make you think you're a terrible person. There's nothing you can do, and you're going to give up hope and sort of walk away, right? You want to recognize rather that you are a ben melech, right? You're a prince. You're a child of God. That's who you are. And you mess up sometimes, and then you come back. And even, you know, even in the most important things, let's say mitzvot, it doesn't help to be um, obsessive. try and touch into um, love, basically. <laughs> Which is, um, what would love do? What's best in this situation? What would serve me and the world and the community I live in and the nation I live in? And, right? 
And in that, a totally reasonable question for such as, how do I support you and your family? That is a totally legitimate question. God has let me. Because he's going to earn enough money from me. Right? Great question. But if I don't earn enough money, I'm not a terrible person. There's just a country problem. It's been broke. I'm not making enough money to support my family right now. How can I think about innovating in a philanthropic aspect? Right? It doesn't have to get into that story about myself can just be a story about what's the problem right now that we're trying to make things happen, right? And that can be a broader sense, too. It can be like, I'm doing work right now that makes myself better. And I'd like to do work that makes myself better. And if that makes sense, then I don't think you made very unhappy. And you weren't going to make very happy anything else. That sounds like a great idea, right? So instead of getting into the story about why did I do this, why did I do that, how did I make this mistake, whatever, whatever, how did I land in this job, right? Whatever that thing is, just check it out. Like, this is where I am. Okay, reasonably, rationally, articulate the part of me. What do I do next? What are the steps that I should take to make this the best decision I can make? That's great. So whether I give it up, right, or at least have to try for it, or gain it or take it, it's about changing the way I think. Getting a whole life out of myself. It's about that reasoned process. Right? The goal is, how do I make the best life I can make? And that includes supporting the people around me and being as happy as I can and contributing to a good society and all these things. How do I make the best life for myself? Great. Let's do it. And then whatever is negative gets out of the way and I can just take care of that. You've been listening to the Or Halev podcast with Rabbi James Jacobson Mazels. For more information about Or Halev and how to stay up to date with our podcasts, visit the website at orhalev.org.